she comes again. It's Chad at the, on the No Clip Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Rutherman. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today we're going to be talking about Link's Awakening for the Switch, uh, which was developed by Nintendo and released in 2019 on the Nintendo Switch based on Link's Awakening, the Game Boy game from 1993. Uh, Link's Awakening is a 2D Zelda game uh, and has sort of the same 2D Zelda-like archetypical sort of like the world map is very similar to that that you find in other 2D Zelda games. The combat system is very similar. Like, uh, and I, I don't know. It, it's it it's difficult to separate it. I think from the Zelda games that came both before and after. Um, yeah, it's very much like what Mario Land is to the Mario series. It came out right off of the back of the Super Nintendo iterations and uh, tried to adapt the formula to the Game Boy, mm-hmm. like, on a smaller scale. And I-, I think it does, like, a surprisingly good job of it, personally. Like, I think this one, mechanically, I think you're right. It kind of doesn't really distinguish itself. But I think in a lot of other ways, it really does. Like, I think the setting... And, like, the fact that it has, like, Mario enemies in it and a lot of little quirks that it has really makes it stand out in my mind. I agree with the cameos from Nintendo characters, and I think we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, And, I mean, we are going to focus the meat of our discussion on the Switch version of the game, uh, Mm -hmm. and that'll change some of what I'm about to say. But the setting, in comparison to the limited number of zelda games that were out before this i don't think was significantly like the difference between this and zelda one is miles smaller than the difference between zelda one and zelda two even though they are ostensibly set in the same location Mm -hmm. the like world design it's a totally different kind of game um and i think that with with link's awakening it feels it feels very similar it's not a problem because it's like the fourth one is <laughs> right. very hard to like, like that's not a criticism necessarily. Uh, it, it's more criticism, if anything, of the games that came out after it. Yeah, it's it's a lot of the little things for me that kind of add up. Like just the imagery of the egg on the mountain is one that I think is like great and yeah. really stands out in my mind, and a lot of like the details that come along with that. I don't know if we want to get into it uh now but it does have more of a story it makes more of an effort to deliver a unique story for a game boy game um i mean for a zelda game right yeah and i that goes a long way for me yeah i mean it's it's until ocarina at the earliest that you have a story in a zelda game that has as much nuance as this one does Mm -hmm. uh it like there are games at the time I'm sure that would have overshadowed that to some extent, but like they're characters and you care about them, and that was more than you could really say about a lot of uh, games at the time. The fact that this doesn't do the 
Zelda Ganon thing is good. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that just having more games in the franchise to point to to be like, but he's not in that one, <laughs> is, like, worthwhile. Like, I know that we didn't think super highly of the story in Minish Cat, but that's something that stands out to me is that there's, it's not part of the, like, regular retold story thing yeah it's it's always surprising to me like there aren't a a lot of zelda games that do that but it it always really stands out when you play one that is different Mm -hmm. uh and it's just always surprising how much as little differences really stand out but uh, i think it's you mentioned that that you care about the characters and i would agree with that and i think it accomplishes that by how streamlined this game is in a lot of ways and how the map is smaller. You keep coming back like naturally through areas and like revisiting the town, um, which the name is escaping me at the moment, but, uh, uh, maybe village, I think. Yeah. And just Mabe village. (laughs) It might be Mabe. I, 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 whatever. Uh, you, you just keep coming back through it naturally and just talking to people and that helps out a lot with like the trading quest too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just, I think the scale is one of its, uh, in the pacing is one of its strong suits. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I think, uh, as compared to the 2D Zelda games that I've played, uh, leaving the 3D ones out of it because they sort of like a necessary convolution to those mm-hmm. uh, where you have to like, you have to do this thing. So you have to go get this item and blow up this rock and go up this mountain. And like, there's a lot to it. Uh, whereas a 2D game, you're on a flat plane for the most part. And like, yeah, there's stairs and shit. But for the most part, that is just representing something as opposed to being an actual change in uh, topography. I think that this is one of the more streamlined games, and realistically, with the 2019 release, this may be, like, the simplest Zelda game to just sort of, like, sit down and go through if it wasn't for some of the, like, very unintuitive things that you have to do to get around sometimes. Yeah, and I think that's the game's biggest weakness. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I brought it up on a, probably a couple of episodes now, I really dislike when games require you to kind of aimlessly explore and experiment to progress. Yeah. And this game is very guilty of that. <laughs> uh, that's kind of what pads out the length a bit of this game is like figuring out where to go. And it's, it's one of those things where I'm not sure how I feel about it mm-hmm. in design. Cause uh, an early example is when you get into the second dungeon, you have to light those torches with the magic powder. Yeah. And you were stuck on that, and it seemed like you did not like that puzzle. You'd be correct. Uh, but for me, I figured that out on my own, and it made me feel super smart. <laughs> so, like, I, I get both sides of it, whereas, like, I feel like you're designing, especially a Zelda game or a puzzle game that incorporates puzzles in a similar way to Zelda, like wanting to have those kind of moments Mm -hmm. that give the player like an epiphany. But the line I think is really hard to find. I I don't want to uh, tear you down and say that you're not smart. 
<laughs> but the thing I want to argue against is that I don't think that you should feel smart. Arguably, this it, you've now made it very personal. Uh, <laughs> because I think that the important thing when you're designing a game that has puzzles in it, I think puzzles of any variety is that your game has to have rules and the game has to set up those rules in a way that can actually teach the player. Uh, the problem with that puzzle and the reason that I don't like it and the reason why in the end, like I find this game to be like kind of, I'm kind of medium on it, all things considered. And that's not like in the Zelda franchise. That's like games. Generally, I'm pretty medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it, there's nothing in the game up to that point that would make you think that magic powder would light fires. Like, you use it required in the game one time, and it puts a raccoon to sleep. <laughs> and the, that's like, nothing about putting a raccoon to sleep makes me think fire. Uh, and so I think this the ultimately the solution to that is to just try all your items on the thing, uh, and I just would prefer to be able to intuit it. This is the same problem I had with the final boss, which is why I hated mm-hmm. the final boss of this game. Yeah, but pump the brakes on that. Okay. Because I want to talk about that later. All right. Uh, now, I think that I largely agree with you, but like I was just questioning that because in Twilight Princess, mm-hmm. there's a part in the game where you're on the bridge of Elden as Wolf Link, um, and... It's covered in oil, and one of the enemies shoots a fire arrow on either side, and like the fire is closing in on you from either side. Okay. Uh, and what you had to do in that scenario is push a box to the edge of the bridge and jump off it. Like you literally have to think outside the box. Okay. To to beat that puzzle, and that stumped me, and I had to look that up. But it stood out in my mind is like a really cool moment. And it's just something I keep coming back to when we keep talking about Zelda games is like, are those unintuitive puzzles worth those Eureka moments or not? I think it's an interesting question. I think, see, because like taking your example, I think that the box push is an example of a good puzzle because you're looking for something to do in the moment and like you could reasonably put together jumping off of the bridge is the correct See, thing but to do. I mean, I would argue that it, it you have to make a leap of logic because in most games, like you said, the games should establish their own rules, and the rules of a lot of games, especially from that time period, is that there'd be an invisible wall there. On the so, bridge. So, like, you're, you're blanking... It may be... Um, you shouldn't, you know? It's like a, like a, a habit that... Maybe the puzzle designers felt like they wanted to punish, but like you've just blocked that possibility out of your mind because you just don't think you'd be able to do it. Right. So I don't remember that puzzle, yeah. and I cannot tell you like what my experience was going through that, but it reads to me, the, the block that you're referring to is something that's learned. It's something that is like an association with games, but it still follows the rules of things that you would think would it, work. It in follows reality. the rules of reality, yeah, and not necessarily of games. And I think that's valid still, though. Like even if uh, it's something that goes, and I think you could probably, and there probably has been, and I'm just not 
thinking of it, make a game entirely out of things that shouldn't work in games but do work in reality. I, I think Team Eco's games are kind of designed like that. Yeah, that's actually a really the, good. Example. And I think that's why I find those to be really hard because mm-hmm. I'm constantly being like, "Oh, well, the game I, would." I, do yeah, that. I never thought I'd be able to do that in this game that I'm playing. Right, but uh, I just feel like all like every Zelda game has at least one moment like that. And that stood out to me in this playthrough, so I wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Well, and I agree, there are usually some unintuitive puzzles. It's just, like, I brought this one up because it was something that stopped me. And, like, the actual solution, if I were to have not just Googled it, would have eventually been me trying things on things. Mm -hmm. But also, you're trained in a Zelda game to, if you cannot get past an object or an obstacle that you need a new item or something. And in my mind, magic powder was literally the furthest thing away from fire starting (laughs) powder that I could have imagined. So I did not even try it. And I left and I went around and tried to find something else. Um, And I think that you want to try to avoid that. Now the game is old. Yeah. The game's real, real old. And in fact, the next to last boss is a fireball that is in lava and it jumps out of lava and throws more lava at you <laughs> and you damage it by hitting it with a fireball. So maybe the magic powder is there <laughs> to prepare you for this game not making any goddamn sense. <laughs> but I think a lot of the time it does. So it just feels like kind of a, a negative thing. Yeah. For me, the saving grace was how early in the game it was Mm -hmm. and how you didn't really have many tools and the fact that it was literally the first room in the dungeon. (laughs) So I figured I would just try the last thing that I got. Mm -hmm. But no, I totally agree with you that it doesn't make any sense. I just happened to figure it out. So I will note that no Zelda game that I've played that's come out since this point has ever had you light a fire with anything other than things that light no, fires. A lantern, yeah. yeah, lantern, fire arrows, fire rod. These are your yeah, I don't typical think things. The magic powder has returned as an item, so probably a good idea. Uh, but speaking of like our differences while playing the games, uh, mm-hmm. I was watching you play some, and I was just like, you know, dogging you about how you were playing the game just for 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 laughs, right? But the, it just made me think of like it's always fascinating to watch someone else play a game, especially a game like Zelda, where they often put in different ways to fight most of the enemies, like so much so that like you kind of forget. Mm. So when you watch somebody else play, you're always like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just weird to me. And it made me think like, if you were somebody who like made a game like this, how like bizarre of an experience it would be to watch someone play when you know all the intended ways to do things. Right. And this is something where I think the Zelda franchise as a whole has always excelled, mm-hmm. where they actually do generally speaking and i mean like you can see examples of it in here even though i'm about to go into a whole thing talking about how good it does with this but uh their their interactions with nearly every enemy and every item and this is almost always true like it's like in 
I wish I had a good example here, but like you can in this game, like you can throw a boomerang and stun somebody. You can hit them with the uh, hook shot and it will stun them. You can hit them with the sword, maybe it doesn't do anything, but the bow deals damage. Bombs almost always deal damage to things, but you have to time it right. Like every item can potentially have an effect on something, and I think that that is uh, like a strength and and tends to be the case in these games. So. It opens up a variety of play styles as well because, like, you can try different things and maybe you just like using one particular item uh, or you're like me and hate going into the menu. So I just, like, tried to hookshot every enemy to death <laughs> because it was I didn't want to take it off the bar. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think it's good and I think it does allow for that. And I think it's probably not super bizarre because I think that they intentionally program the games like this yeah but i feel like when you're making it you you would think like there's a specific way like this is the main way to beat this enemy mm -hmm. and then all these other ways are just like secret ways yeah I, optional x I, I might be wrong about that but i feel like if i was doing it that's probably how i would think of it I will say that it is probably not the intended strat to beat the wizard guys <laughs> by hitting them with the hookshot and then picking them up and throwing them at each other. <laughs> probably not, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah. Uh, why not go for it? <laughs> That's my motto. In fact, my motto in this game was so much why not go for it that uh, I feel like I ended up sort of I, I like tanked half this game because I just could not there was so much going on <laughs> I, I like I want to kind of uh, you know segue a little bit into dungeon design here mm -hmm. but I feel like the the layouts of the dungeons in this game are among my favorite in uh like 2d Zelda games as a whole arguably most 3d Zelda games as well um I really liked the sort of most of them had sort of a circular uh layout to them you'd go you do a bunch of these things then you'd come back uh either with an item or like you unlock something and allows you to yeah. take a new path they felt like figure eights to me mm -hmm. like you'd loop around one side and then go back to the other yeah and it gave you a lot of choice um this is something that the 2d dungeon games have done really well where it's like you can use keys in any door and there are a bunch of keys and a bunch of doors so you sort of pick your path uh it's less prescribed like the 3d games have been uh but i did feel like the actual rooms were just jam fucking packed all the time yeah i feel like that's something that all the 2d games do um but i would agree i feel like these the dungeons in this game had a really nice difficulty curve mm -hmm. like they ramped up in difficulty like so gradually that you don't even really notice it but yes yeah, so i think they hit that sweet spot and uh i don't know i i've actually i found the enemy encounters to be a bit easier i think on the whole than like a link to the past or something but they i mean it was there were parts that were challenging where it felt like you'd walk into the room and like a billion things would assault you <laughs> yeah and, and you just kind of weren't ready for it. it i feel like 
in uh, other like future games they kind of space that stuff out a bit more and it's denser here yeah possibly because the dungeons are smaller well that that is the word i was going to use i think that it's not difficulty it's it's density like there are a couple of really interesting encounters like i liked um the next to last dungeon i want to say uh there's a room where you fight those mummy enemies that just take a whole lot of hits in comparison to most enemies on a floor that breaks. So you kind of have to hit and run, like move around and shit. And it's like, it's a small encounter. It doesn't take very long to do, but it makes you think about it and have like a strategy in mind. You can like stand on one side and throw bombs if you want. Like there are a couple of different ways to approach it. And I really appreciate that kind of design. And I, I hate when I walk into a room and it's like, just wall-to-wall enemies like you walk in the two spike pucks come in fucking slam you you bounce into like a maze that's like real small because it's on one game boy screen and it's like got all those like uh the sun items the sparkers from super mario world fireballs the fireball guys uh running around and then there's like bats and you're like what is happening (laughs) like you can't parse a lot of the encounters you just have to come in swords blazing and hope that you end up fire emblem swords blazing (laughs) uh and have to hope that like you just don't die and you never do because the game isn't that hard (laughs) I, i don't think it or i don't think it ever got that bad personally but i will agree the the spike like spike pucks coming at you as soon as you walk in the door is pretty cheap yeah cheap move cheap move (laughs) uh what do you think about the 2d segments Mm. i'm of two minds and one of those minds is in like uh, the later half of the podcast where we talk about aesthetics Mm -hmm. because i think they look really good uh and they were like whimsical and amusing to be in uh but link's jump should have been changed for the 2D sections, uh, and nobody would have noticed or cared. But it's so prescribed that it's impossible to do basic platforming with him. Yeah, I I really like the inclusion of Rock's Feather in this game, uh, and I really like that they from that. And this is just speculation, but like it seems like maybe they decided they wanted to have the Mario enemies and they also wanted to have Rock's Feather, so they incorporated, like, 2D platforming segments, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I just think that's a cool idea to, like, maximize the usage of that item. Yeah. Uh, This is a question that I should know, but I'm just ignorant to the information. Were the 2D sections in the Game Boy version? Yes. Okay, I actually did not know that. Mm -hmm. Um, In that case, that does seem more likely that that is the case. Uh, yeah, it just seemed like that the Mario inspiration, and I think that makes me like it more than I feel like I can kind of trace the logic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't dislike them necessarily. I just thought that the platforming was a little weak mm-hmm. because it was it was it was hard. But the reason I didn't like it wasn't because it was hard. It was because it was hard for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Like it was just hard to control Link's jump, uh, and so like. It was only certain things. If you're jumping from two stationary platforms, you should be able to just, like, deal with it. It was when it was, uh, like, the platforms that were weighted and, like, moved when you stood on them. Uh, It was just, like, impossible to time that correctly. (laughs) It didn't give me much trouble, but... 
Your definition of much trouble, I think, is where the (laughs) difference is. That's true, yeah. If I tried it three times, that was like (laughs) game-breakingly bad. I felt like I could do that part on the first try pretty much every time, but... I'm just super awesome and cool. That's true. I am super <laughs> bad in yeah, land. I thought so. like his like the rigidity of his jump arc made those parts like really easy. Ooh. Super the opposite. <laughs> I think we, we play platformers very differently though. This is possible. Uh beyond the two D sections though, um so you you, you did like the, the layouts and stuff of the dungeons? Yeah, yeah. I I Kind of similarly to the overworld, I feel like the 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 streamlining and like just them being a little smaller and shorter really works for this game. Yeah, and I thought that the puzzles generally were intuitive when you're actually in the dungeons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made it like I don't know, feel natural. Like the solutions you came upon them in in ways that didn't require. Like, at no point did I, like, sit down with, like, a pad of paper and a pen, and I was like, okay, if I take the ball from this room and throw it to this room and then got my tracing paper on the TV screen and drew a path of where to go, <laughs> I was able to kind of feel it out, which is ideal for me, I think. Like, those mm-hmm. are that's when I prefer it. My one complaint that I will say that I have is that occasionally it would just put you in a situation where you had to make a big loop for no reason like you'll go through here and then you open a, a door and then you drop off a ledge and then you're like okay i dropped off a ledge and i have to go back to the beginning of the dungeon yeah i feel like that kind of stuff is in there to test like your spatial awareness that's mm-hmm. i think the the biggest thing about this game's dungeon design that i like is and I think Eagle's Tower is the best example of it. I think Eagle's Tower is just the best dungeon yeah, in the game. Yeah, is how you have to keep the whole the layout of the whole dungeon in mind the whole time. And I think that really works in the 2D games because mm-hmm. you can reasonably do that. And that one like pushes it to a, like a to its limit there by having you carry the ball around and knock down the pillars and everything. So I. I, and I feel like a couple of the other dungeons did somewhat similar things. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's probably my favorite thing in the whole game. Yeah. I think um, this did hold a mirror to my uh, more impatient tendencies mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I was actually reflecting on it. Because I remember at one point in... Uh, the last uh, internal rock i like did a thing like a necessary thing and then i jumped into or no what it was was i went and i found the magic cream chest but getting you can't get back from it you have to jump back down and go like all the way around the whole dungeon again to get back to it and i remember being like ah this is so annoying and then like eight seconds later i was back where i was and i was like Man, maybe I should, like, (laughs) (laughs) calm down a little bit when it comes to these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, in your defense, that dungeon feels big Mm -hmm. when you're playing it, and in reality it isn't. That's fair, yeah. I thought, like, the inclusion of things like one-way doors, which you don't see a whole lot in Zelda games, uh, was an interesting one, because it made you actually consider, like... I think the one-way doors do a lot to 
force your spatial awareness to kick in Mm -hmm. because you don't just want to run through a one-way door and just like in that haze where you just kind of forget what's behind you yeah you like have to consider where it's going to take you so you like stop you pull up the map you're checking things and it also makes you more likely to engage with the enemy encounters in each room uh because you kind of want to clear things out so that you're able to think um it's just good design i think overall like the layouts yeah, it's really well. The one-way doors are really well implemented, and I, I think it they kind of highlight one of the other things that's really good about the dungeon design in this game is that it it forces you to make choices. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, you pointed out earlier with like the keys, they give you you'll probably pick up at least two, sometimes three before you like find a door to use it on, mm-hmm. and that always feels like it makes at least me always worry like ah oh, if i go through here am i gonna like regret using this key on this door yeah you know and forcing you to it just brings you more in into the experience and you're more engaged with like actually navigating the dungeon yeah and if it's not you find three keys before you find your first locked door it's you find three locked doors before you before you find your first key like it's always an excess of one or the other so it's always a decision when it happens uh yeah it's really good and i mean elation of the past is a similar thing but i think and it hurts to say it (laughs) i think that the dungeons in this are like overall more tightly designed um I will say one place where Link to the Past has a an advantage here, uh, and that is in the boss design. Though I will say I'm immensely impressed with the number of bosses that they designed for this game. Uh, a lot of them felt kind of bad. <laughs> I agree. I don't know if I'd say that they were bad, but it, it it's a quantity over quality thing in this game um yeah i i struggle to think of any that i really disliked but a lot of them felt like trial and error Mm -hmm. and like they weren't telegraphed like what you should be doing yeah and it's not like because there are a couple that i actually agree with that i think are uh the slime dude who falls from the ceiling and jumps so that you have to like jump to not get stunned and then you like do your initial damage by like charging through him with the pegasus boots Mm -hmm. i think all of that was like that is an example of like a a puzzle boss that is good like i think that it uses abilities that you're already using it doesn't require you to constantly switch through the menu uh like you kind of go in you have your setup and you just go for it and uh, it ends up being, even if, like, you struggle with it at first, by the end of it, you're probably, like, you likely won't die to that guy unless you're playing on, like, the harder difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, that's an example of something that's good, even though the design itself I mean, is a little bit, like, it's a big blob. Right. Very popular with Nintendo in the 90s. Uh, Especially on a Game Boy. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, what are we going to do? I don't know. Big blob again? <laughs> <laughs> Can't you draw a circle? Yeah. Uh, First, I draw this head. Um, <laughs> I might, and then erase some of the more detailed pixels. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then there are other bosses, like the one where you shoot fireballs at the fire boss, uh, or the final boss, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Um, 
where it just felt like you're in the menu constantly, just mm-hmm. like switching between things, trying to see what works. And then the other, the last kind is the boring wait till they're vulnerable boss, like the boxing man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were a couple, that one and at least one other that I'm blanking on at the moment, but it felt like it had weird hitbox. Oh, the guy with the shield. Yeah. Or it, you felt like you were hitting him and it wasn't doing anything. And then you try it again and it randomly does damage. And you're mm. like, what? What's going on there? Yeah. He he killed me before I had dealt damage to him accidentally. So I just assumed I was doing something wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I just... Mi- and I say killed me. I let him kill the last five hearts <laughs> of me because I was like, I'm doing something wrong, so I'm just going to let this end and then go search for something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did eventually get him. Yeah, there's some... I did beat the yeah. game. <laughs> there are some... I, I know, I watched. Yeah. But, uh... There are some unfortunate rough patches with the bosses, and I'd say that's true of most elements of the game. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are a few things that that need sanded down, but it's kind of hard to fault it too much because this was originally designed for the Game Boy. Yeah, and having played the original, like at least one third of it, um, I was able to like play it with that. Uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that stuff was like not that big a deal to me overall. Yeah, th- this game, like I-, I can imagine playing it on the Game Boy, and I can imagine not finishing it on the Game Boy. Like that seems like the inevitable conclusion of what would happen if yeah. I played this on the Game Boy. It did feel like if I don't know if it's the level of ab- abstraction that goes on with a Game Boy game, but it. It felt like I got stuck more frequently yeah. in the original version. Yeah, not only would I, like, I thought that the microphone in Kirby was a cowboy <laughs> hat. I have to imagine that in this game, I wouldn't know to use the magic powder on the on the fire things, but I also wouldn't even know what they were in the <laughs> overworld. Uh, I, I really do. I wish that other, uh, like, the other Game Boy era Zelda games would get home console ports like ones that you can actually sit and look at a television mm-hmm. people are people are clamoring for the oracle games to yeah get remade. yeah because that's another one i played oracle seasons and i played it for like six hours and then i just kind of stopped there's something about the handheld version of this makes it like it's just hard to read mm-hmm. you know like it's yeah. i don't know so I, I do really appreciate what they what they did here. Yeah, dungeons I think suffer in like in particular like having such small screens. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely like weakens or like limits what you can do. Uh, here's a dungeon question. Yes. Uh, in order to draw out this half of the podcast before we go to the break. Uh-huh. Uh huh. This is this is sort of in line with I I don't think the game follows its own rules a whole lot, but also no Zelda game has ever followed this rule, so I can't <laughs> can't call this one out specifically. Uh, those like pyramid blocks that are like wood blocks with a little black thing on top of them, mm-hmm. you can just push occasionally. The only rule is that if you can push them, you can only push them once. Uh, and nothing about that communicates through the game. It's weird. And, like, there will be so many of them in an area that it's difficult to, like, 
discern when you're supposed to be trying to push them and when you aren't. Yeah, that stood out to me as well, where I was like always pushing them just to make sure, you know, mm-hmm. just in case. Um, no, it made me, it was kept making me think about um, the original version of the game and wondering if it was like a memory thing. Like they had, they couldn't let you push too many of them. Cause the, the game couldn't keep track of it or something. And it would be hard to put like differentiating markings on them on such a small, with a small resolution as yeah. well. So that's what it made me think of. Like, I can't really think of any other reason why they would do that. Yeah. And that's just something with a level of detail. Probably. Or, I guess you could make the argument that it's uh as we've talked about before the idea of noise Mm. when you're puzzle solving like you add you throw in a bunch of blocks so it's not immediately obvious which ones you're supposed to push right but it it is a it's messy yeah it's a little yeah you just end up wasting time trying to push things you can't push it's kind of like the metroid problem of having to bomb every screen a little bit yeah yeah. but not quite as bad Mm. Because there's a lot of wall tiles. There's a limited amount of blocks in the dungeon. But Zelda never gives you an item that just pushes all boxes at the same time. Fair enough. Uh, oh, it's called the power bracelet. Yeah, the the power... The more powerful the, bracelet, yeah. or whatever it was called. Oh, God, that was so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, what do you think? The item selection in this game... Pretty standard. Pretty standard. Good, though. I think yeah, that they yeah. they chose things that... I mean, obviously, it was things. this was so early in the lifespan, they didn't know what was going to be iconic at the time, and mm-hmm. things like bow and sword are pretty standard. Um, but I liked their implementation of most of everything. Rock's Feather is like an instant classic. Yeah. Uh, wish it was in every game kind yeah. of a thing. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Rock's Feather, the Magic Powder, and the Fire Rod... Mm-hmm. are the more unique ones in this and i like them all i kind of wish they would have introduced the rod earlier yeah i agree um but yeah magic powder interesting idea it it, it was too spotty and inconsistent though yeah uh i think that could have been cool uh but yeah and rocks feather all-time classic yeah also i'm glad they used the hook shot i don't know how many games the hookshot has been in? It was introduced in A Link to the Past, so mm-hmm. this was its second appearance. Yeah. So, like, and since then, it's it's shown up kind of a lot, but the hookshot's always, like, my favorite item oh, in a yeah. game. So it, I'm real glad that I saw it in this. It's just one of those really inspired designs that, mm-hmm. like, if you were going to make a game like this, you would be so tempted to just steal the hookshot. Yep. Yeah, it, it just, it solves... A lot of very interesting problems and yeah. allows you to design more intricate things. Yeah, and like the being able to just zip across like upper levels mm-hmm. by like hooking onto a chest or something is just really satisfying and interesting because there's plenty of scenarios like while you're trying to solve a dungeon, you've got a lot on your mind, and there will be times where you'll walk up. And you'll be have a gap, and there'll be a chest, and you won't even think to hookshot it because there's just so much, like you know. And there's a nice uh, eureka moment when you realize, oh, I could do this the whole time, you know. It just a really cool interaction to have in the in the game. 
Yeah. Plus, it's you know you can use it for combat and that too. They yeah. use it for exploration and uh, uh, they use it in the two D sections. And I want to mention it's so cool that you can use items in the two D sections. Yep. It made me feel really, really dumb <laughs> when I saw you do that because I never made the connection and never once used the hookshot in the two D sections. But the little wooden whatever you want to call them yeah have the shape yeah of the hook shot right in there and i just never even noticed that yeah i actually when i saw those for the first time i was like oh boy is this the dungeon where i get the hook shot and yes it was so i was uh i think i was just too excited for the hook shot is what it was uh Regular hookshot yeah. fanboy. There was a little gap in one of the 2D sections, I think in the last dungeon, where you had you were supposed to hookshot across it, but you could <laughs> rock's feather or Pegasus boots and then jump. And that's what I did every time. And it was like a super tight jump. And I was like, wow, it's weird that they made that so tight <laughs> over this lava. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just an idiot. I do also want to shout out uh, before we move on to something like anything else in the game uh-huh. uh that i loved the, the inclusion of just like one weird 2d like space puzzle uh in the last dungeon where you have the fire rod mm. and you have to like melt the ice in order to jump like make a staircase like yeah. melt it in the right order the fact that that like existed at all in this game is like because they have very little opportunity for that kind of a puzzle so it was nice to see that was a standout for me too and it was actually kind of hard to figure out yeah i probably didn't do the first part correctly yeah uh because the my solution involved falling from the top and inputting a a a a rod like at the right Uh, three frame window (laughs) to open up a hole that's definitely not the way I did it. It wasn't even until the second room that I realized that the first room was a puzzle and not mm. just like the weirdest, <laughs> really hard platforming in the game. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think I may have done that one in a dumb way. Yeah. But... And I also like that one of the bosses was a 2D screen as mm-hmm. well. Let's make the most of that Two mechanic. Of them, actually. There's the fish. Oh, yeah, and the eagle. I forgot. I was counting the fish. Oh, okay, I forgot yeah. about the eagle. Uh, so, yeah, I like that they did that. The eagle was very cool uh, because, like, it allowed, like, with the use of your other items, there were, like, a billion different things you could do to damage the eagle. So it was, like, a really dynamic fight. Uh, plus, it was a cool set piece as well. Mm-hmm. Being underwater with a big angler fish was less <laughs> cool, but... Uh, oh, that's pretty cool. It was a cool-looking boss, yeah. so... Uh, speaking of cool looking, do you want to take a break and then come back and talk about the visual design of this remake? I sure do. Hell yeah. Hell Let's yeah. do that. Smash that like button. <laughs> Smash that pause button and take a break yourself. <laughs> yeah, treat yourself, audience. Uh, so I did want to talk about the visuals because I think they're essentially like the strongest selling point of the new version of the game. 
uh, they took a wildly different approach than pretty much any Zelda game prior to this. Like, the biggest difference between Zelda games before this was probably The Wind Waker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was definitely, like, intrigued by it when it was announced. It has, like... Uh, this is going to sound derogatory, but I don't really mean it that way. Uh-huh. It has, like, a mobile game aesthetic to me. Like, it has this very, like, cutesy, rounded sort of graphical style. Uh, and then they add, like, all these, like, very bubbly effects. They even have that... Uh... I was told by somebody who went to film school that it's called a vignette. The like, blurred edges that bring the center of the oh, frame the, into focus. the depth of field mm-hmm. effect. And I don't know, I don't necessarily love it, but it is interesting. Uh, it, it feels very, like, current Nintendo to me, to go with the kind of more toy-like look. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like the way it looks, but at the same time, it, it, I, it's, I don't know how to say this without like sounding like I'm dumping on it, <laughs> but like, it doesn't feel like there's like a clear reason why they chose this look. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel like a cohesive choice necessarily. Uh, the 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 only thing I could really think of to to justify it in that way is that. This was originally released on the Game Boy, and a lot of people working on it probably played this game when they were a lot younger. Mm-hmm. So, like, making it, like, giving it a toy look makes it feel more nostalgic. Yeah. I I can kind of see that. I, I can see... some pretty threadbare justifications for it. Mm -hmm. Like the idea that the game takes place in a dream and the fact that they differentiate that with the art style where Link is drawn in a like animated art style, like almost a, um, like a Miyazaki style. Like, yeah, I like the, the hatching on it. Like the, the shading is really cool. Mm -hmm. I nodded my head when you said hatching, but I didn't actually know what that meant. Like, uh, most people are more familiar with cross hatching, where like you just like you make the lines and then you cross them. Okay, yeah. Into like for shading, if you if you don't cross them, you just have lines going across. That's, that's regular just, that's hatching. That's just hatching. Yes. Okay. Oh, hatching, egg, egg hatching. Maybe that's <laughs> oh, so cohesive. So cohesive, actually. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, like, yeah, it maybe sounds a little bit like you were dumping on it, but I think it's pretty fair to say that like. This isn't my favorite look uh, mm-hmm. that it's had, and it, like it was cool. I liked seeing it, but like the game's pretty pretty long. <laughs> yeah, it's it just it's one of those cases, at least for me, where you can't help but thinking what else they could have done, mm-hmm. uh, because there isn't like a strong like connection between like the story and the the look. Because uh, I think this game is actually kind of melancholic once you get into it. Uh, and the idea, like you said, uh, that it's all in a dream, it's just like, it feels like they could have played into that stuff more with the art style and they kind of didn't. Yeah. It's a very whimsical art style and I feel like it's supposed to appeal on first blush. 
mm-hmm. but the deeper you get into it, the less it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I will give it credit that it does stand out. Like it's something that is definitely like eye catching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would argue that like most people and including myself in this case, the further you go in the game, the less it stands out. Like yeah. the more you're just kind of used to being in that world. I would agree. And I, it almost kind of feels like they they picked the look based on the tone of like the very early game. I think like when you start it up and you're in that that town of Mabe or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um it it feels the most at home in those early parts, but then once you expand, you know, beyond that, like past like the second dungeon or whatever, it it kind of loses that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like even I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to describe this. Like Zelda games traditionally, with the exception of Majora's Mask and some elements of Twilight Princess, aren't really scary necessarily. Mm-hmm. But most Zelda games, and I'm including The Wind Waker in this, have enemies and bosses that have an element of menace to them. Uh, it's it's not like frightening design. It's more just like an imposing one, mm-hmm. and I think that this game's art style sort of forces all of that away. Like no bosses in this game really looked frightening or scary to me. They were all just like bulbous and goofy. <laughs> yeah, and it would have made a lot of sense for this game because the bosses are referred to as nightmares mm-hmm. for them to look kind of scary. Yeah. It's 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 very unusual. Uh I also kind of want to I don't know. I I think I mean that's kind of what I have in the art like it it made things clear in the overworld which was nice mm-hmm. uh yeah it, it's it's it looks nice and it has a strong art direction for what it is it just something about it like i just feel like you're gonna unless you just really love it upon mm-hmm. first looking at it you're gonna end up kind of wishing there was something more to it yeah I mean, I'm glad to see a Zelda game that isn't in a pseudo-realistic style. Yeah, I'm glad this doesn't just look like A Link Between Worlds or something. Right. Uh, And and so I am in favor of that. I'm in favor of them making strong choices and, like, making risks and things. I would absolutely rather them strike out with something weird than play it safe, so... Especially with the remake of Link's Awakening, which is already sort of, like... Nobody was asking for this. I think there were some people. Sure. But, I mean, there are people who are asking for Bandana Waddle Dee. That's true. Super Smash yeah. Brothers. So it's like there's a there's an audience for everything. <laughs> right. But uh, it wasn't, like, demanded. Uh, and I don't think it was because people didn't want it. It's the people didn't know because they didn't play the game because it came out in 1993. Uh-huh. Uh, so... Yeah, like the fact that it's it, it was an unusual choice in an unusual game made it uh, seem like it's preferable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the point that I wanted to get into is now gone forever. Uh, well, I'd like to transition to talking about some of the characters. Sure. Because I think even though, as we've discussed many a time now, this was originally developed for the Game Boy, uh, it... actually manages to successfully inject a lot of Zelda charm into it. Uh, I wanted to bring up Marin in specific. Mm -hmm. Um, 
she seemed really important to the story uh, for the first, like, maybe half to three-fourths. Mm-hmm. And then that just kind of goes, like, falls off. And she doesn't really get any kind of resolution. Yeah. I thought that was weird. Yes. I, I agree. I was kind of running through possibilities, like, in my head for Marin. And, like, what it is that she was supposed to represent. Now, I, I'm going to reserve the possibility that there's some kind of sequence that I just didn't see. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't see it, anything either, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah. Like, maybe there's something out there that gives reason for Marin's, like, the weight that she was given narratively early. Mm-hmm. Um Here's here's my crackpot theory <laughs> that I've been kicking around that I kind of enjoy a lot. Uh, Marin is not the youngest person on the island because that one family has a bunch of like seemingly same aged children. Mm-hmm. But I have this like idea that Marin was like born in the dream. And that that is like makes her in some way like she's like part of it. Like when everyone else wakes up, maybe the other people were also people who were dreaming, like Link is and mm-hmm. the Windfish is. But Marin is like a pure dream being. Like maybe even the kids just don't age or something. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which could explain why like they're all seemingly the same age, except for the one that's a baby. Right. Now, I like that theory a lot, actually. Uh, she, because well, she knows the Battle of the Windfish, right? Also. Yeah, she does seem to have some kind of special importance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a theory on that specifically, but I just wanted to draw a parallel to uh, like an episode of Star Trek where they're on the hollow deck, and Jordy and Data are like doing detective mysteries, like for fun. And Data keeps solving them all, like, immediately, because he's Data. Right. And so Jordy asks the computer to create uh, an opponent capable of defeating Data. So it creates uh, Professor Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes and, like, makes him smart enough that he becomes self-aware and tries to escape the holodeck. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking she was going to serve that kind of a role as, like... (laughs) Like, uh, that that she would have, like, self-awareness that, like, she was in a dream. You know, like, she was going to be, like, the one dream being you were interacting with that was self-aware. Right. Like, she was on to, what, like, the true nature of the island. And it totally seems like she is, but then it's just dropped. Yeah. Even, like, there's a sequence where she's on the mountain and you, like, hook shot across and grab her in, like, Indiana Jones style mm-hmm. or, like, Spider-Man style or, like, Star Wars style. Yes, uh, all of those styles <laughs> simultaneously. Yes, Link is the embodiment of Harrison Ford movies and also Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> uh, but... Uh, and you get to the other side, and she's like, oh, thanks, I thought I was a gunner. By the way, I have something to tell you, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, obviously it was supposed, it's leading it on as if it's, like, some kind of, like, uh, prophesation of love. See, I feel like that's a red herring. I think I, very possibly. I feel like she wants to tell you something about the island. Right. But she just doesn't. Yeah, because then she's whisked away by Terran and taken back to Mabe Town. <laughs> right. <laughs> Village, whatever. Yeah. Uh, 
And yeah, like there, that sequence is there and it doesn't ever have a payoff. Like it just goes away. So I don't know if you're supposed to infer that like, oh, maybe she's going to tell you about the fact that it's a dream. But like you, the player, already know that, which would be how you're supposed to make the inference. But then why would she be telling you like how they write it into the story that yeah. she tells you here so like yeah i feel like the game blew its wad too early and by just telling you that the island is a dream after like the fifth dungeon because mm-hmm. the owl even flies down and is like so you know yeah or if they were gonna t- like tell you earlier they should have done it differently like have marin be the one that tells you and then let that sink in more mm-hmm. like you're basically the antagonist to everyone on the island at that point which is a really interesting dynamic mm-hmm. that is only implied but you also are never really given a there's no choice right because it's a game boy but game even still like it's still interesting to make you think about it mm-hmm. no i agree and i think there's there's a validity in making a game that has like negative implications to the player's actions but not letting them do anything about it because it makes you sort of have to like live with that i guess like Mm -hmm. you have to to go through it and sort of like ponder out all the implications of what you're doing Mm -hmm. but at the same time yeah like there's nothing that ever stops you there's no conflict presented by the characters because they're seemingly not aware yeah it's just the bosses yeah and Which bo- is interesting. Right. But then they try and kill you, so it's not like you were going to be like, okay, hold on, I'll hear you out. Yeah, like no, one ever, <laughs> no one ever tries to bargain with you to, like, get you to not wake the windfish. Right. They're just like, I'm a face in a floor, and you're going to kill everyone, <laughs> yeah, but now I'm going to throw bombs at you. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's super strange. Um, but yeah, that just, that feels like such a like a juicy idea for a story. I hate that like this is retroactively becoming like the example for everything that we talk about that does this, but it's it's the real time fall of this game. Yeah. Where it feels like there's a <laughs> lot of cool shit done with it, but like it's so much deeper than it yep. is explored. And on the one hand in this example like it's like kind of above and beyond what I'd expect from the Game Boy game this originally was. Right. But it feels too sparse mm-hmm. in the remake. And it isn't like the game was overstuffed. Like, if you compare the owl dialogue in this game and the like very minimal interactions that are necessary with NPCs versus like, what is the owl's name and, uh, uh, Ocarina of Time. Oh God, I can never remember. But he—he's the Light Sage. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, and he has a name, and he has tons of dialogue. Something with an R, I think. But yeah, I don't remember. Raoul. <laughs> Probably not it. No, but let's just go with that. <laughs> so when Raoul uh, is always talking to you about shit in in uh, Ocarina of Time, it like feels overstuffed you feel like you're getting delivered so much like narration at once yeah and this game never feels like that no like they could have added additional things to it uh and just kind of chose not to yeah it's because it's a cerebral game (laughs) and you have to really imagine imagine the 
destruction you're causing. <laughs> the owl comparison is like a good example of like how this was a streamlined 2D thing. So the owl just kind of works as like a hey, you just beat that dungeon, now go here next. Right. And then he goes away. Whereas in Ocarina, it was like the first 3D game they did. So they used the owl to deliver like tutorial stuff and it's like overly explained because they thought they needed to do that. Yeah. Because it was new to people. I mean, there's probably an argument to be made at the time. It may have been necessary. Like it was a totally new thing yeah, for yeah. most people. So, uh, but yeah, in retrospect, super shitty owl <laughs> versus good owl in this game. Right. Uh, another thing I liked relating to characters is there are a few instances of like little companion characters, which is surprisingly satisfying, I think. Uh, the one everyone knows is the Chain Chomp, because mm-hmm. it's from early in the game. Bow Wow. Bow Wow, yeah. Little Bow Wow. Yeah, who just like is hooked on to you and like eats enemies and stuff. But I also really like uh, the ghost that randomly shows up and uh, the chicken, or the cuckoo, rather, from later. Yeah, I was uh, very concerned (laughs) when you bring that rooster back to life. I thought for sure that that was going to be like an item. Like a thing that oh. just followed you for the rest of the game. And I was going to be very annoyed because it seemed like what he was doing was something that was just, it's like a traversal thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, now I can go to all these places that had holes in them and fly over them. Right. This is a huge deal. But then he goes away and I was, <laughs> I was relieved. Yeah. I, I never thought for a second he'd be permanent. <laughs> That's good. It's, the, it's too overpowered. It really to be able is. to float over anything. Well, I mean, as it is now, they could have just designed around that, it. That would be really hard. It would be. <laughs> <laughs> they take gaps out. Yeah. <laughs> you just do what Mario Maker level creators do and just fill the whole room with spikes. <laughs> I don't think that'd be very fun. <laughs> I agree. Uh, speaking of Mario Maker, uh, this game has a dungeon maker. Did you interact with that? No. Same. <laughs> anyway, so the game also... <laughs> uh, I did the tutorial uh, for it. And I think that the thing has some legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just going to be a quick a quick rundown, and yeah, then we can move yeah. on to something else. I, I think there's, there's definitely something to it that is cool and interesting, but at, also at the same time, I feel like they didn't do nearly enough. They didn't give you enough access to like the parts of the dungeon to make it work like and i know they wanted it to be simpler than something like mario maker the thrust of this game is not dungeon creation Mm -hmm. uh, but like i imagine that like the best dungeons that are made by the community all probably look somewhat similar it's just sort of like a taste as to like which dungeon you like best which is going to be the most uh prevalent but Mm -hmm. there really are only a handful of chambers that aren't in existing dungeons and so everyone who plays them will already have done the rooms like they'll already know the solution to all the puzzles so it ends up being kind of like I don't know. It feels 
half-baked and it feels like there's not a whole lot of like longevity to it. Yeah, I think half-baked is the right way to describe it. Um, I didn't interact with it at all because before the game came out, I just like read a list of all its features and was already disappointed with it. <laughs> um, the idea of a Zelda maker, like a Zelda dungeon maker, is a really exciting one to me. And yet this just, it's kind of baffling uh, how restrictive this is. Yeah. Uh, it kind of just undermines the whole point. And like you can't share them either, which is like the appeal of Mario Maker. You can. It is hard to do. Uh, you have to load them onto an amiibo oh. and then physically hand that amiibo to someone okay. else. I think so, is the way that you do it. Very limited. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it just, I, I hope that we one day get a fully realized version of it. Yeah. Because this is the way to do it. Like, not to just speculate for an hour on shit on a podcast unrelated to it. Mm. But like, this is very close to what you would actually want. But you just need to also be able to arrange the items within the rooms. Mm-hmm. And preferably also be able to... Uh, just like choose what items people start with and that's you can even put items in the dungeon and shit like Mm -hmm. it would be pretty close to what we have you just have to go a layer deeper yeah i think you should be able to like rearrange and place enemies and things yeah that's what i'm yeah yeah it's important yeah it'd be harder to like implement puzzles on your own so i feel like a more robust preset like ver- like set of puzzles and things you can put in would be cool but i feel like that's enough uh speculating on that <laughs> you're right uh <laughs> but i do agree with what you're saying it's yeah. definitely important uh i wanted to bring up the color dungeon uh hit me with it uh it was <laughs> as a weird way of saying <laughs> i probably should i should I, I, let me take that again uh yeah uh, so as we mentioned in the first half, uh, the color dungeon was added in the Game Boy Color DX version, mm-hmm. and um, they put it in because now it's in color. So they did a dungeon themed around color, and I I was I played like about the first half ish of this game uh, on the 3DS because the game was like five bucks on there. Yeah. Uh, I also own it on the 3DS. Yeah. And it didn't have that color dungeon, so I'd never played it. So I was looking forward to it and as like a as like a graphic design person, the idea of a color dungeon is a fascinating one. So mm-hmm. I was like excited to play this dungeon and I found it to be like really really disappointing yeah it's not even really a color dungeon no. so much it is a like shapes dungeon yeah which is a nice uh colorblindness uh consideration yeah but it is also an optional area which True. makes you feel like maybe you could just d- do it like at least have more interaction with color. Yeah, it was very short as mm-hmm. well. It did have, in my opinion, the hardest puzzle in the entire game. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is the getting all of the yeah the nine grid. I don't know why I had so much trouble with that. That stuff is kind of difficult. Uh, it's one of those puzzles. I don't know if there's a specific kind of puzzle design, uh, like term for it, but it's one. Like there's a similar 
somewhat similar puzzle in Twilight Princess, where I feel like you just need to brute force it <laughs> uh, to to solve it. Like if you sit there and try and work it out in your head, you're gonna be there forever. Mm-hmm. Like you just need to kind of keep messing with it and be like, okay, this does that, this does that, and gather details as you're just messing and fiddling with it until you finally get it. Yeah, like the game. Uh, there's an app called Unblock Me. Uh, okay. it, it, where it, you had like a grid of blocks that you slid around and you tried to get the red one and that's in with them slid out. There's like one little opening. Okay. And so you kind of just like get into a flow Zen state where you're just kind of flipping the blocks around until you finally get it. And mm-hmm. you're not really like solving it in advance. Yeah. I think cause it's like a logic puzzle, but it really does not lend itself to, solving through logic so much because like the controls in the game are so snappy and it's like you want to just hit things and make them change you'd have to set the controller down Mm -hmm. get a sheet of paper and like work it out if you wanted to solve it that way (laughs) yeah whereas like because basically you just have to the way these puzzles work you just find the relationship between what you do and what the reaction is this one's very simple it's just you hit it and everything that's adjacent to it changes uh maybe would not diagonal adjacency because nintendo hates diagonal adjacency i don't know if people are familiar with this fire emblem doesn't have diagonal adjacency and it fucks with me uh (laughs) but unless uh, you use a bow i guess yes there's that um but yeah so and then you just hit things and make sure that you know understand where what's going to change when you hit it and then you are supposed to plan out like okay if i hit this it changes this then i hit this and it changes that back and then you that's how but it's just so much more interesting and fun to just hit it a whole lot mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, maybe i'm a child you kinda but have that's to, why i find you kinda it have hard. to find like little patterns so like if i hit the middle one and then the middle one on that side and it, like it does this and right then if i do this and that on the top and bottom mm-hmm. It gets it to this, and you know, kind of yeah. work through it that way. That's how I do it. But we see these puzzles all the time, and yeah, these are just... It's it's like kind of a stock-type puzzle, yeah. and doesn't really take advantage of the medium, and I'm never a huge fan of things like that. It just kind of depends. This one's a little bit too hard, so mm-hmm. you end up kind of thinking of it that way. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it's something that's slid in with the rest of it. Because like, yeah. there are other puzzles that do this yeah because i have a soft spot for like ice block slidey puzzles which right. are basically the same thing yeah uh so you know it just kind of just depends on the implementation i guess what was the boss of the color dungeon oh god um i feel like i should remember this sam like literally oh, oh. It was two days ago okay it's like the this. the guy with the shell and it starts out like blue, and you have to keep hitting it uh, with enough, like frequently enough, so that it doesn't go back to blue. You want to knock it all. It goes through the, like the rainbow. Yeah. And you want to get it all the way to red so you can bust it. Right. I didn't like that boss room. <laughs> I like the idea. It, it it was a little bit, little bit sloppy. Yeah. I found that there's like a point where the boss talks, and he's like, "All right, just cool off." 
and chill out and let it and let's and let's take it again from the beginning or something. Oh yeah. And I thought that that was like Link's internal monologue <laughs> saying that I was doing something wrong. So I backed up and he healed <laughs> back to full and I was like he, he fell for his trick. I did. <laughs> he got in your head. He read me like a book. Uh-huh. He was like fighting the link. He's like download completed. <laughs> But yeah, so I found the color dungeon to be disappointing on the premise because yeah. I think it's a really cool idea. Um, and if I ever made a Zelda style game, I I might want to try and and do another attempt at a color dungeon. Yeah. Uh, but what do you think about the tunics you get as a reward? Uh, probably a little broken. I think I think it's a little bit too strong. I mean, we're I I mean, I assume I don't know if this is true. I was playing on normal. Were you playing on like master difficulty? I played on normal. Okay, I when I play a new game, what one hundred percent of the time, unless it's like a Guitar Hero game, I'm gonna start on normal. Yeah. See, I've I've finally after years and years graduated to usually playing on hard now because. <laughs> Especially since we've been doing the podcast, I've found that like playing on normal is usually too easy. It depends on but the game. But with Zelda, I know the the changes they make in master mode, I know I don't like. Okay. So I I tend to just play on normal. So in this game on normal, I think completing the color dungeon as soon as you have access to it probably makes the rest of the game too easy. Like I was playing exceedingly uncautiously uh for the majority of it and it made the dungeons feel less it made the puzzles in the dungeon feel like the real focus whereas uh they should be a combination of like the combat and the puzzles it the combat was nothing because i took the blue tunic so traps didn't even deal full damage to me Mm -hmm. so i was just like blazing through rooms just like i would use enemies to speed up my motion (laughs) having them hit me into the direction i want to go like it was it was uh it was not enough i feel like maybe if the color dungeon if i knew what the reward for the color dungeon was i probably maybe would have chosen master mode mm. uh but i also don't really know what it does differently other than just more damage recovery hearts don't drop okay uh and everything does double damage that's it's a very boring yeah exactly mode. yeah especially since your penalty for death in this game is like basically nothing. nothing yeah it seemed especially generous in this one yeah, it seems like Master Mode just makes the game masterfully tedious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I thought. I did like being blue yeah, as opposed to green. Yeah, the, the blue tunic does look cooler. I took the red one. Right. Uh, and I, I, I like red and all, but the blue one just looks a little bit cooler. Uh, shout out to our red fans out yeah. there. It's it's a cool color. I, I usually favor red personally, but like the I don't know something about the blue tunic just looks cool. I think it's because he's got uh, like blonde hair. Yeah, like there's like a yellow stripe or something mm-hmm. on the red tunic. Yeah, which it's I gonna don't get, like as much. It meshes better yeah. with the blue. But uh, you want to talk about that final boss? Yeah, let's. Or go. did you have anything else? Uh, I did want to briefly mention that. And I may be just wrong about this because you had reminded me of one. 
uh, I found the number of like interesting non like actually optional mini games in this to be like very diminished from most other Zelda games I've played. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a product of its handheld nature uh, and just the fact it's old. Yeah. Like, Minish Cap had that cool bed that you slept in, <laughs> and this one even did also have a bed, but yeah. it wasn't really a minigame. The Dream Shrine is very weird. Yeah. Where you get the ocarina from. I was hoping, against all hope, that I would that it was going to be, like, some kind of wild minigame, or uh, that there would be, like, more Dream Shrines. That would be a good, I think, way to tie in with Marin mm-hmm. as, like, link her to the Dream Shrine somehow. But, uh, yeah, that was very weird. Yeah, because it was just one room. Yeah, it's just, like, this weird thing that's in the Mabe village. Uh, You just, like, lay down in a bed, and it takes you to this one-room dungeon where you need the Pegasus boots in to just pick up the ocarina. <laughs> and then leave. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, oh, also, I will say, because the minigames that do exist all cost rupees to participate in. Uh, oh, yeah, we should mention the the trendy game is that what it's called yeah the, yeah. the crane game yeah the crane machine yeah uh well it was it was not so hard <laughs> i don't know if i'm the only one who thinks so no but... it's definitely hard yeah uh, i didn't engage with it too too much i only did it a couple of times to get a, few, a couple of items but uh it it is weird how things can just fall out the side yeah, it, and I mean, and that's it's cool to some extent because it feels like it's actually using the fact that the game is in three D now. Yeah, but and it's just like real crane machines. Yeah, rigged. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I used it exactly twice: once for the heart container and once for the Yoshi doll, and mm. then I never went back. Uh, evidently, that's where one of those bottles that I didn't get is. Ah, there you go. Uh, but yeah, so. The tra- between that and the shop, which I think was really well implemented, um, their rupees actually feel like they have value again. Yeah. Um, which has been a complaint forever, but this is like it's very early and did it well. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that's a product of the remake or or not, <laughs> but like it just seems like that's a thing that they've really knuckled down on mm-hmm. recently i think a link between worlds breath of the wild and this all have like feel like and, and skyward sword too had like a bunch of shops you could so they've all felt like the rupees have had value for the past handful but it was a problem for a long time yeah like the difference between picking up a, a 100 rupee in this game and picking up a hundred rupees in like Majora's Mask is yeah. is pretty vast. Espe- yeah, especially like mid game when you want to buy the bow and it's like almost a thousand rupees. Yeah, and it's like oh god. Mm-hmm. And you pick up a gold rupee, you're like fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're goddamn right, joy. <laughs> uh, did you ever try to steal anything from the shop? No. You, because uh, you walk up to the counter and you pick something up, you can just walk out the door or try to walk out the door. Uh, and what happens is that the shop killer insta kills you with a death laser that he shoots at you. You like, uh, like lightning or whatever. I'm sure met shopkeeper there, but I love that you called him shop killer. Oh, did I? <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now you know why. Yeah, because he really is he's a death star a shop killer. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we're going to shop killer base. That's like an infamous thing about the game that I didn't know if you knew about. No, I was unfamiliar. Did the uh, 
do the cuckoos attack you in this game? I don't know. Because I've hit them occasionally, because I usually sprint through right. maybe village. They usually take, like, at least, like, eight hits, usually. Before the assault happens. But yeah, that is a, a, a Zelda classic as well. Yeah. But... If any game wasn't going to have it, it would have been probably the original version of this. Yeah. But I can't imagine why the remake wouldn't include it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, now that the the sundries are out of the way, we can <laughs> we can actually talk about the final boss. Uh, is there anything like so? The final boss is gated by a stupid memorization puzzle. Yeah, everything about like that and the fight itself, like unless I'm missing something, suffer from just like having no telegraphs whatsoever. Like. Does anything alert you to the fact that that book is in the library? Uh, other than the fact that it's just there, and when yeah. you read it, it's like you can't read it yet. Yeah, it's because <laughs> like you probably you go into the library early and you see it, and it means nothing to you then. Mm-hmm. And by the time you're at the end, you're not like, oh yeah, that, that book <laughs> at the library. You know, like you're never gonna do that. Link's Awakening is trying to promote reading habits. In the yeah, years. like so, like you've you haven't gone there for like twenty hours of game, so like, I don't know that that that's a little bit BS. And even <laughs> if you go to the egg and you can't figure it out, you're not gonna think the answer is at the library. You're just gonna like wander around. I mean, Andy, the library is a compendium yeah. of knowledge for the modern age. Yeah, I I, I mean, I had to look it up. I don't actually know if you can call the guy on the telephone for a hint on that. If you can, that's somewhat of a saving grace, but yeah. even still. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I did not try. Um, yeah, it's a little bit... I, I mean, that's like kind of an old game thing. Yeah, but that doesn't... I don't think that excuses it. Yeah. It. it true, I you, guess. I, you don't want to throw the e-brake on... <laughs> when you're like right up at the end of the game like you want that to be a smooth sailing like let's go fight the final boss like you don't want to yeah throw up roadblocks i mean you bring up an interesting point of it doesn't help that it's old it's just a bad decision yeah because it is but i do feel like we give leniencies Two older games a lot. Yeah. This one does feel egregious, though. Like, there's no technical reason why they had to put a dumb maze in their <laughs> game. And it's randomized as yeah, well. Like, it doesn't... I don't think it serves to, like, build up the final boss. No. And if anything, it's just weird that it's even yeah, there at it, all. I feel like what they want is for it to make the inside of the egg seem mysterious. Right. And, like, unknowable. But it's, it's too tedious and it's just it doesn't feel well thought out no not really when zelda games go inside of giant objects <laughs> we expect a lot more than yeah. than this um the moon javu javu <laughs> but uh etc 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 um but uh so but once you get through the maze you jump down the hole and you begin the final boss fight with the nightmare or whatever you want to call it uh and it's just we've said this about a few things already (laughs) but like it is the epitome of trial and error um when we talked about the wind waker jj expressed similar uh 
qualms with Puppet, Puppet Ganon. Yeah. And I argued that, it, yes, it is a little bit harder to intuit what to do in that fight, but it is all telegraphed. Like, I was able to do it without looking anything up. There's even a, a like, a form that is similar to the form in yeah. this one. Yeah. And, because uh, it, it uses the same language of that the game's been using up to that point so like and you can draw the conclusions about how to beat it right but this isn't the wind waker episode uh this uh boss doesn't do anything of the sort it's it's just rifle through your inventory and try everything on the boss right and it, it just ends up being kind of lame like because yeah. half of the boss is a boss rush of yeah, he's got like bosses. Yeah, he's got like six different forms or something. Yeah, and then the other half is just like good luck, hope you figure it out. And like in kind of an unfair way, like the the bats and the twirling mm-hmm. form, what like the way that I damaged him was with the spin attack. Y- you figured out the correct strategy on okay. that one. I wasn't sure if there was another way to do it. Yeah, uh, like you 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 can do it smoother than you were doing it. You never quite <laughs> clicked got it, with it clicked yeah. with it, but like you got it done. Yeah. You know, like that's basically what you're supposed to do. Like you had more time to charge a spin attack than you felt like you had, so you were always trying to start it too early and getting hit. Yeah. But um apparent I I I read that that's a callback to how the Ganon fight went in a link to the past or something. Uh so like I, I I read that like the final boss in this kind of wants you to have some knowledge of previous games because there his other like wizard form mm-hmm. where you hit the fireballs back I think is also supposed to be from a link to the past yeah that's just, but I mean that's also just like every Ganon fight ever. true you it, always it works play a little with it works a little different because he has two different kinds of projectiles yeah which I will say maybe my reaction time is bad and there's a no, pretty that, good argument for that that's just hard yeah I mean, it's really hard to identify it and move out of the way in time mm-hmm. so it's almost like just more efficient to just take the hits when he shoots the yeah. four but uh i died to probably i think it's second to last form uh my and i will say on a second time through when you know what to do it is enjoyable to execute okay. on but that doesn't save it no well i also like because i take issue for the same reason that i take issue with using magic powder on the on the staunches or yeah. whatever they're called uh you use magic powder on his first form and what like why because <laughs> now magic powder is well, being given even an additional use yeah. that it didn't have this before. is my least favorite thing about the boss in general is that first form when you hit it with the sword it like disappears and it's unclear if you've damaged it or not yeah so like I you run around or at least I know I did and watching you you did the same thing you just kind of run around and you keep hitting it with the sword and you're like am I doing that like am I doing am I, you know you can you do that for way longer than you, you just waste time there yeah and yeah like that's that I feel like that's an oversight mm-hmm. uh and I think that's the worst thing in the in the whole in the whole final boss yeah I mean the the fact that the final boss is like 
<laughs> probably one of my least favorite parts of this game is a big letdown because that's kind of not like I 100 times out of 100 <laughs> will take an easy final boss that is that feels good and appropriate for the end of the game over a final boss that is like ball bustingly difficult for the wrong reasons yeah like obviously Gwyn is like the quintessential example of this where he's like not as hard as some of the bosses that you fought in the previous parts of the game but like is satisfying for a lot of other reasons Mm -hmm. this game is not visually satisfying sorry this boss the game itself is fine (laughs) (laughs) uh this boss is not visually satisfying. Its theme isn't particularly memorable or good. The like and the actual mechanical implementation of fighting him is just hard and that's it. And hard in a way where you're just going through menus. Like mm-hmm. it's not ideal, I would say. Yeah. And it feels like it has a bunch of forms just for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Like there's no as you said, there's no theme. Uh He becomes yeah. the cheeseburger guy. Yeah, he becomes the cheeseburger snake. Um <laughs> And, uh, like, why? Like, that boss just, has no significance. It, it felt like, what do we have lying around? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and just kind of string them all together. Uh, yeah, just kind of mad on it. But I will say, I mean, do you have anything else to say about the boss? Not on the boss itself. Uh, but I do like after you you beat it and you actually go meet the windfish. Mm-hmm. The windfish has a super cool design and the way it's presented in this game is a cool visual. Yeah. And I meant to bring it up before and forgot, but I really like the the design of the instruments. Like their little icons in the menu are all like really really uh I don't know if satisfying's the right word to use, but you know what I mean. Like they're just they they're nice to look at. Yeah. And they're very like ornate. Like it, they look like they would be hidden like yeah. ritual instruments. They do look like magical instruments. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's good. It's good design and the windfish is cool and I wish that Sm- I did not play Smash Ultimate before I played this game to some extent because I knew what the windfish looked like from that oh, yeah. and only from that. And if I had just not known, that would have been wild yeah. for that to be what came out of the egg. And I love in the anime cutscene at the end where he like flies, flies overhead. Over. Oh, it's very cool. Like it just is imposing. It's an interesting design. I'd like to see... I want the windfish back, actually, <laughs> more than anything. Hashtag bring back the windfish. Exactly. Uh, I'll pitch to you a secret sequel to Link's Awakening uh-huh. where you start playing the game and you play it for a while and then it's revealed that what you've been playing is the dream of... Uh, like, another dream of the windfish. And you maybe wake it up like halfway through, and it something else happens, and it's it, yeah, it builds off that. That would be a cool. You idea. awake into like a bigger world. <laughs> maybe that's what Breath of the Wild Two is. <laughs> uh, is that is that about everything? I think so. All right. Do we have fishy? waking thoughts do we do we have woke thoughts 
<laughs> the Legend of Zelda Link's Woke. <laughs> Link's Awokening. Uh, do we have final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I have kind of a soft spot for this game. Uh, as we've discussed, it, it's got rough edges, and you can kind of, even in this remake, feel that it was, you know, it's a remake of a Game Boy game. Like, mm-hmm. you can feel the limitations in some spots. But it's it's really charming. And I think the unique things, because uh, I, I played this for the first time, like, years ago, and the with time those unique things about this game have really like stood out in my mind like the visual of the egg on the mountain and everything is it sticks out as much as you know things in like majora's mask to me like the moon maybe not that much but you know it's like a thing that about the game that like really comes to mind uh when thinking about zelda and uh i think we we had a pretty good discussion on it i think uh it it's really i think that's what it boils down to yeah we pat ourselves on the back uh no i was just i thought we might skew negative on this one so i'm glad that i felt like we were fair yeah i'm proud of us um but uh, i think that's is really what it boils down to is that it's there it's it's messy it's got rough edges it shows its age but it i the things that work in it though i think really work and you can kind of feel the some of the influence that this has had on future titles and uh it 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 the parts that do work hold up surprisingly well i think and the remake enhances all those things even further uh so yeah i i i recommend this one yeah uh yeah, no, I, I liked this game. I enjoyed my experience with it. The thing that kind of grabbed me about it, and this is actually similar to Minish Cap, which is another 2D Zelda game that we played recently that, like, I didn't come off super positive on. I came off, I think, more positive than you or JJ did. Yeah. But, like, it's not in my... It's in, like, the bottom 10 list as opposed to the top 10 list of Zelda games. Um, but... While playing this game, there were moments where it was just like, I'd be playing and it'd be like three hours and I'd be like, oh man, like I've just been playing this and I didn't want to stop or put it down or take a break or anything. Like it just sort of like absorbs you into the like, do this, then do this, then do this sort of mentality of a Zelda game. Um, And that's something really impressive. Like uh, most 3D Zelda games don't even really get that sort of state from me. Uh, so I will give it credit for that. Like it is an enjoyable game and I think the visual style does help with that to some extent. Uh, I think my complaints, uh, it's really obtuse at times. Uh, the dungeons are very jam packed, even though I think that the dungeons themselves are designed maybe among the best, uh, in any 2D Zelda game that I've played. Uh, did Mark Brown do a boss keys on this game? Yes. I don't think I've seen it, so I don't know if he, if my opinions differ from his, but, uh, I have to imagine that he was all, with his British accent, like, oh, it's a really good one. (laughs) I don't know what that was. Uh, (laughs) 
I'm trying to like think if those have like subconsciously bled into me enough that I'm just like the number of keys and doors oh. in this flowchart <laughs> make it a complicated and uh, interesting dungeon. We we touched on some of the things he talks about, but uh, uh, I, I I don't think you've seen it. That's good. You didn't you didn't say anything very specifically that he mentioned. I don't think. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so I think I think that's really the game's strength. Like you said, it has a lot of things that stick out. Um, I think between like its weirdness in comparison to Zelda games, like in like a ten-year period surrounding it, mm-hmm. uh, make it really stand out as something that's like against the grain. And maybe it isn't as celebrated as something like A Link to the Past, but it does have its shtick. And it plays it well. Uh, so, I like this. It's probably also in my bottom ten Zelda games, but there aren't that many Zelda games, so it's not, like, a huge negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's where I'm at with it. Thank you for listening to No Clip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about Blasphemous. Uh you may have heard me dip briefly into talking about Dark Souls on accident during this uh, podcast. Could, couldn't keep it in. Uh, but next, the game we're talking about next time is like very much inspired by Dark Souls, so we'll be allowed to cut loose a little bit with it. Yeah, and anyone in our like regular Discord crew, I highly recommend this to you. It mm. seems like the kind of game that you guys talk about a lot. That is true. Yeah. I, I did actually mention this at one point in the Discord. I was like, hey, I'm like two-thirds of the way through Blasphemous. It's real fucking good. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember if anyone responded to that. So I don't think they did. I'm going to bring it up again. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's a good-ass it's, it's good time uh, for the most part. Uh, but we'll get into that next time. Until then, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on splattershot.pro. There you can find links to our Twitter, our YouTube, our Discord, as we just mentioned. Uh, It's a cool place to come and hang out. Uh, And all of our old episodes are on there, uh, both in a YouTube playlist on the front page and also on an episodes page with an easy navigable sidebar uh, that breaks it down by year. Check out our basically annual Zelda episodes. We've done Wind Waker, Breath of the Wild, Minish Cap, Majora's, Majora's Mask. And Link's Awakening. Yeah. So, yeah, that's once per year. Yep. Nailing it. Hook shot that like button. <laughs> Trade the like button with the alligator man for the subscribe button hey uh nobody listens to this far into the podcast but that alligator man's name was just sale like s-a-l-e like yeah but he's not really a merchant it just seemed like a weird name we didn't mention the fact that there's anthropomorphic animals in the game this is also true we yeah. also didn't dive much into the fact that they were, that kirby is an enemy. that's true yeah well we mentioned mario enemies so yeah also kirby uh, goodbye goodbye <laughs>
Are you done? And, and I'm Anakin. <laughs> <laughs>